happy happy monday my fabulous vibers welcome back to my podcast where i believe that every woman deserves the freedom to craft the life she wants and the guts to go after it we will share stories facts and opinions on various aspects of life to give you that kick in the ass to light you up and spread killer vibes every day 24 7. i am super excited today my ladies my men we have a lot of men that actually listen in by the way um it was a discovery that i made um that a lot of guys were sending me messages and they were like oh i really like what you're talking about i said oh i didn't know i had so many guys but today we are definitely talking to someone very special to me someone that i've met back in february and I can't wait for you guys to meet her. We were at a fundraiser event. We were doing, I think one of my friends had invited me to this and we were just sort of like saying, hey, well, you know, we, we do love to donate to, to, to causes and we do donate to candidates as it comes up. And so my girl, Natalia Cornelio, Nata for short, she is running for judge. And when I met her that day, I think we and I, you and I kind of connected. Right, Natalia? Would you say that we connected? Yes. I was like, who is this stylish man who is talking to me? I am I know. I love you. I love you. But yeah, no, I think that it was sort of like... um, So I'm always really someone that really supports women in terms of... um, leadership roles so when i see a woman that's out there you know really having the courage to pursue leadership roles to pursue office i'm immediately connected to that person i'm immediately wondering like okay so why are they here and who are they i want to know more about them but yeah and so i've always felt that and i've always known that and that um you know for me as i was growing up i always looked up to women who had the guts and had the the courage to pursue office because it's not an easy thing and that's something i'm going to talk to you about today on this podcast vibes by alicia because natalia cornelio is running for judge nata for short is a proud bilingual and mexican-american attorney with over 13 years of legal experience while growing up her parents and many others fought for immigrant workers rights educational opportunities and to help local leaders get elected so that the people would be represented by politicians who had shared experiences with the community her parents taught her the value of hard work and the importance of fighting for the right to be recognized and treated with dignity and respect she became a lawyer to make a difference and to help ensure that all of our communities have equal access to and protection of our laws a district judge in the state of Texas oversees her court, makes bail and sentencing decisions, and presides over trials, as well as adopting a county indigent defense plan to provide for adequate representation by counsel of indigent citizens accused of adults and juvenile crimes. They preside over trials such as adopting local rules of practice to provide for the effective and efficient deposition of all cases filed in the court. They also are in charge of determining probable cause and insurance of search and arrest warrants involving crimes occurring in Harris County. They perform wedding ceremonies and determine requests to waive the 72-hour waiting period between issuance of a marriage license and performance of the wedding ceremony. To become a district judge, such as Natalia Cornelio wants to be, the following has to be applied. 
You must be a U.S. citizen. You must be at least 25 years of age, but not older than 74. Be a resident of Harris County for at least two years and have a, been a lawyer for at least four years. Elections occur as follows. They are elected in a county-wide partisan elections for four-year terms of office. Vacancies that occur in the office of district judge are filled by appointment of the governor of Texas, subject to confirmation by the Texas Senate. Natalia Cornelio has a platform, and this is her platform for judge. She intends to promote community-centered justice. She plans to reduce reliance on incarceration. Natalia will implant pre-trial justice. Natalia plans to reduce disparities in the justice system, as well as improve courtroom process. I hope that you enjoy the podcast today and that you take the time to locate your local candidates, learn as much as you can about them, and go out and get ready to vote on October 13th. And we really want to talk a little bit about her um, platform, and I really want you all to get to know her more and come to love her the way that I've come to love her and the way that I've come to know her. And, um, you know, I'm really excited to share her with you all because... Honestly, it is such an important year. It is such a crucial time in this country that we really do need to encourage more women. I believe more women in office, more women in leadership, more women, especially in Harris County, in the state of Texas. Um, I think it's just, it's it's so crazy that we're at 2020 and, um, you know, Are, are the the offices are not even close to being as representative as they should be in terms of women and men, right? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, on the highest level, on the highest level, right? We don't we don't have a president. We don't have yet a vice president. And we don't have a lot of folks in the Senate who who are women. Yeah, I think the Congress has changed more recently, um, right. and some of the local stuff is changing, but. It's a long time coming. So I really, you know, sometimes I think back of how 2016 was such a pivotal year in terms of, um, you know, what happened. But I feel like it really motivated a lot of women to say, I'm kind of done with this and I'm going to run. And so a lot of them did run and they, you know, went all the way to U.S. Congress. Um, and I think sometimes we need that that impetus that 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 climax that that paradigm shift that just knocks you over the head and says okay it's enough we need to really get more women out there in more leadership roles but for you i really want to talk a little bit about what your platform is because you are running for judge you're running for can you tell us a little bit about district judge and how that uh, encompasses the city of houston basically Absolutely. So first of all, thank you so much for having me, Alicia, on your podcast and for being thank the you. head that you are. Can I say that on the air? Yes, of course. So I'm Natalia Cornelio. As you mentioned, my, I go by Nata, and it's a pleasure to be on the show. It's an honor and privilege to be running for office. I know there were a lot of sacrifices made in previous generations for me to be where I am, and I am grateful and looking forward to pass it forward during and after Um, everything that I do. 
So I'm running for the 351st District Court, and just to give a little civics uh, government 101, mm-hmm. there are <clears throat> trial level courts, appeals courts, and like the highest level of Supreme Courts. And it gets kind of complicated, but these are all state and local courts. Okay. And um, the district courts are the the trial level courts and they're divided in Harris County there are 60 district courts that serve all of Harris County um and then the way that they're like the judges are from Harris County and they only serve Harris County okay some other places in Texas have district courts that serve they're small so they serve a few places um but we have it broken down we have civil courts we have criminal courts we have um, juvenile courts and we have family law. Okay. And so I'm running for one of our criminal district courts, which handles every and all felony cases that comes before that that's filed in Harris County. Gotcha. Okay. Twenty two of us and I would be one of them. There's twenty twenty one knock on wood. Um tw- you said twenty two of you? Correct. Oh wow. And so how many Latinas are in there right now? How many Latina judges do we have right now? On the criminal courts, zero. Oh, and wow. All, yeah. Holy yeah. moly. All of the district courts, on all 60 district courts, there are three. So you would be the first in criminal. Yeah, I mean, I don't actually, I haven't been able to figure out if there was a criminal judge before me that was maybe a Republican okay. or years before. Um, so I, I don't know if I would be the first, but there aren't any right now. And there aren't any right now. Yeah, I mean, Harris County is more than 43% Latino based on most recent numbers, Latina, Latinx. And so um, having Latinx, Latina, Latino population, whatever is least offensive to folks, whatever is most inclusive um, is really important. Yeah. Think about this, like historically speaking, Uh the law, like I'm a law nerd, right? Some of our rights were not even recognized until Latino attorneys Mm -hmm. fought for it. You know, like we didn't have the right to sit on a jury. We weren't even recognized as a group of people before the law until groups like like Latino lawyer groups, Mexican-American lawyer groups fought for it in court, mm-hmm. before the Supreme Court. Um, and so it's mm-hmm. really important. Representation in the law, even as attorneys, has been important for us to have our rights recognized, to even sit on a jury. And so imagine, imagine having judges. Yeah. That's amazing. That's incredible that we're in 2020 and we still don't have that representation. Even though we're a big part of the population in Texas, especially in Harris County as well. So what do you think is is something that distinguishes you in terms of your experience that makes it a little bit different and more unique in the office that you seek? Well, besides the diversity that I bring, I mean, I'm a public servant and, you know, I went to a really good law school. I have a great education. My parents really supported me in that way. Mm -hmm. But I've always, you know, I noticed growing up, like I'm the first lawyer in my family and um, there's none in my family and my community growing up. And I wanted to become a lawyer because I was like, well, these laws affect like us, our people, my family, my community, and we don't have lawyers. Right. Um, You know, and so uh, when I became a lawyer, I decided I wanted to to serve people that needed it. I was a public defender and I represented, you know, hundreds of people who could not afford their own lawyer. They were facing criminal Mm -hmm. A lot of them did not speak English. 
um, here in Houston. Yeah. And so my skills as a bilingual attorney were, were really in high demand. Um, and then after doing that for six years, I became a civil rights lawyer and I have been litigating and representing community members who are affected by the system to make sure that their rights are protected. One thing I did was represent families separated at the border under Trump's uh, zero tolerance family separation policy. Interesting. And, you know, mm-hmm. that was near and dear to my heart. Like we, we as a country have a bad track record of how we treat immigrants. In this case, we were taking people's children away with no hearing, with no lawyer. And no. as a civil rights lawyer, I was able to get in there and be involved and, and be an attorney for people, mm-hmm. which is so important and help them be reunited with their children. And so. So let me ask you, in terms of that, who who who's paying for their lawyer fees? Yeah, that's a good question. So, you know, anybody accused of a crime is entitled to a lawyer. Is that through um, due process through the U.S. Constitution? Yeah. Okay, yeah. gotcha. Right to counsel. Yeah. It's, own, it's its own constitutional amendment. But um, but for immigrants, yeah, there's a there's like a recognized due process right, but you don't necessarily and automatically get a lawyer. And so as civil, I mean, I work for a nonprofit. I was the director of a program there, and we had to get funding to do anything that we did. So we chose to use our resources for that, and we were a nonprofit, the Texas Civil Rights Project, funded exclusively to provide services to people. Mm-hmm. Um, we did impact litigation. But so when they say to donate to, for example, Raices or to, you know, to Fiel Houston, that money really is going to, to cover the cost of lawyers, paperwork, court fees, all of that. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, okay. every nonprofit is different and they all need to be transparent about how they spend their money. Yeah. But, oh, yeah, <laughs> the nonprofits are so important overall in providing services and legal counsel in some cases to folks that cannot afford a lawyer. Now, having said that, there are efforts to provide better government-based yeah. funds, for example, for immigrants detained um, and facing removal because, you know, you shouldn't be deported just because you don't have money and you can't afford a lawyer. Like, that's... It, it's just it's sad and, it, and it's unfair mm-hmm. so there's lots of shifts in our culture and yeah doing, but just kind of back to the question which you said it was it was basically like i'm trying to remember uh you know why yeah who who funds who pays for these lawyer feeds um right no 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 yeah so the, the people i mean okay grants and foundations and uh, sometimes you can get grants from the federal or state government. You know that in, in Florida, this is kind of off topic, but in Florida, a lot of felons were not able to vote because they couldn't afford to pay for the money they owed. And people were coming into Florida to pay for those fines that they just couldn't pay for so that they could go vote. Is something like that happening in Texas as well? Do you know? Um. I, a little bit. So, no. I mean, in in Texas, once you are off papers, you can vote. And papers doesn't mean. I mean, papers means you're you're like you're not on probation or. Mm-hmm. Okay. In O fines without necessarily being on probation or supervision. So, um, it's a little bit different here. Okay. It's definitely a lot of work that's being done and has been done to make sure that people aren't unable to get a license even just because they owe fines and fees right work to be done there 
But really, I just wanted to say, I think your question was what distinguishes you, and I went into this long explanation about my background. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But, but what distinguishes me is that I've actually served the people who are affected by the decisions made by judges. Okay. And for so long, I have practiced as a lawyer for 14 years. These judges don't have any clue what the people go through. Mm-hmm. It's been missing from, you know, their analysis. There's not empathy. There's not understanding of what it's like to be poor, of what it's like to struggle or mm-hmm. you know, have a different background than, mm-hmm. than them. And we really need a different perspective on our bench. We need people who understand what the communities go through as a result of their decision. Why do you think that there are so many judges that are so um, out of touch with the communities that they serve? Is it because they're just um, kids who come from bubbles and just become lawyers and then they become a judge and then they don't have any clue what these people are actually going through? What is, what's leading that, 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 um, that difference between what you are and what they are? Yeah, this is theory, right? Is it partially theory, partially history? Like, I think historically, the pool of people mm-hmm. has been coming from the same place. Like, the, the bar wasn't diverse. The bar was very exclusive for many years, exclusive of women, exclusive of black people, exclusive of people of color. And yeah. The pool of people that were even eligible or qualified to become judges was not diverse. So uh. that has changed, um, but it's been a slow process, and, and, you know, it hasn't changed enough. But the other thing that does happen that I've seen, even with judges that you would think mm-hmm. would have a different perspective, yeah. I think that people get complacent. Ah. People get to the bench and and forget. Or, you know, maybe it's a lot of work or maybe it's a lot of emotional energy to make the decision and treat every single person like a human being. You get kind of used to the grind of the system. Because the justice system, I mean, all the court systems, they have a lot of people coming through all the time. Mm-hmm. So it is actually work and effort, even as an attorney, yeah, to, to you know to, to kind of turn it up and to the next person, but treat this person like they're fresh. Like you don't know everything about them just because you have experience with people that have been in their circumstances. Mm-hmm. But judges, I think they do get complacent, and it's yeah. unfortunate and. It's one of the advantages of elections and shorter terms, you know, and, and the opportunity to, to rotate. And, you know, I always think about how, um, you know, uh, judges, the judges that we elect, we're um, expecting them to not have a bias for them not to have a uh, specific way of ruling, I guess. But your background matters a lot your um, perspective, your experiences. It was like when um, Supreme Justice Sotomayor, she was elected and she said, yeah, well, you know, being a Latina really mattered a lot because it really brought about um, an experience and a background that doesn't exist right now. And a lot of people tore her up for that. And they were like, you're not supposed to be, you know, um, anything specific. You're representing the whole United States of America. But I think what she said was really important was that, you know, her her perspective and her background and where she comes from has a lot to do with the way that things are, you know, I guess, ruled on. And like, you know, uh, you know, the, the way that they see different cases that come upon them. 
the way that Ruth Bader Ginsburg was also an inspiration was because she saw things through her her lens, her perspective as well as a woman, as a second woman judge. Um, I'm wondering if that's also applicable here at the local level as a judge, as someone who's looking to, you know, decrease the disparities in the justice system. Do you see that as something as a goal for yourself as well? Absolutely. I mean, I love that you highlighted that. And I think, you know, it's kind of sad that there's still some needing to convince people that diversity and representation matters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think you're spot on in, in, in highlighting what Justice Sotomayor said and even the contributions made by Justice Ginsburg. And they're different because they're both women. Yeah. But they come from different places and they have different experiences and, and they highlight different things. They've been able to bring different strengths to that analysis and they work together, right? I mean, collectively they create a different body of law than another variation. And I think on the local level, it's the same. It's there's 60 district judges, family, civil, yeah. criminal. And wow. there's, other, there's a ton of other courts, right? There's smaller courts like misdemeanor and small claims courts. There's appeals courts. And cumulatively mm-hmm. represent the court system. And so having diversity within that system is critical because when you pull that back and you see what all the courts are doing, you're going yeah. to see that representation of, of the community. You know, I used to do a lot of work as a teacher with fathers and daughters, and so I have a book about that. But a lot of the um, the topics and the tips that I would always give was on fathers connecting with their girls. Is, is there a movement today, I guess, in the court system in changing the methods in which we are reincorporating men into the into society again, into family life again? Do we have a a strategy for them when they get out of jail to reincorporate with their kids and reincorporate in, in family life. A lot of the girls that I used to work for, work for were in the juvenile service, in the juvenile department. And I was their educational consultant. I was the one that was creating their, their, their life plans. A lot of them didn't have a relationship with her dad because they were in jail or they were incarcerated for one reason or another. Is there something out there, and this is just a personal question, just because it's something that I've worked with also is, and I have experience with, to reincorporate the the people, the individuals back into society and into life so that there is not a recidivism? You know, I, I love that question. You know, men are, are completely affected by the justice system the most, and uh, men of color are the most, and, and of course that affects our families. So I, I think that... There are some services, but we need more because they're not specific enough. They're yeah. not long-term enough. A lot of times I think, you know, the courts have sort of failed our society in the criminal system by mass incarceration, right? Like yes. incarcerating people who don't need to be there because maybe they have mental health issues or addictions or there is another way that we could handle what happened. But you're right about like, and then, and then after, and then what? Mm-hmm. And I think that like our slow move to start to think about holistic treatment and rehabilitation has been really short term. Like, okay, well, when you get out of jail or when you're on probation, you have to check in once a month. Yeah. And that's, you know, like, in, and you have to get a job. But no te vamos a ayudar. Like, we're not going to get a job for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, like, that's been how it 
how it's been. Do you think there's any hope that things will change? Do you think there's any hope that things will change? Because, yeah, they're like kind of kicked out and then like, okay, go fend for yourself. And then they can't fend for themselves because they can't get a job because you have to put on a job application that you've been in jail before. And then people see that and they're like, oh, well, you know, I don't know when to hire you, blah, blah, blah. Well, then how are you going to incorporate these people back into society if you keep making it harder for them to try to make anything of themselves in society? I agree. I mean, it's critical that we invest in resources and services for people to be in their community. And as a judge, do you have any influence on those programs that we can incorporate or is that out of your hands? Yeah, I think... So judges are allowed to advocate to the legislator. And mm-hmm. I think that I see myself, you know, potentially doing that as far as funding for programs that I want to use instead of prison. Okay. You know, tell me a little bit about that. In order for people to be successful, sometimes while out on bond or sometimes during probation, they need resources. And it's a, and it's not like, I think that the other side says, oh, you're just helping like defendants. And, and that's a misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. It's really intended to be community centered. It's intended to further public safety and the well-being of the community that folks are coming from. Gotcha. And, and also a lot of times, you know, like someone who's a survivor of crime, um, you know, wants to know that it's not going to happen again and that, the, that, that things are safer. So, so I, I think that like these resources and these services and helping folks deal with whatever they have going on mental health wise, addiction wise, is going to make everybody safer and everybody better. And we need those services to be good in order for us to meaningfully rely on them as an alternative to incarceration. So so let me just give you the other point of view, the person in the community, the person who's out here, you know, donating and like trying to contribute into society and trying to say, hey, you know, let, let me see how I can help. We are looking at some of those services that are being provided to some of them. And we're like, OK, they seem self-serving. A lot of them are not quite as uh, as transparent as you want them to be. I think. Um, Um, we become a little bit of cynical. We become a little cynical when you think, okay, well, you know what? Uh, United Way doesn't really necessarily help as much or, you know, or the Goodwill really doesn't help as much. Or, you know, those people that are supposed to be out there helping as like nonprofits, we become a little cynical at the idea that we donate money to them and it doesn't look like it's really helping. It doesn't look like it's actually making a dent for people who really need it. Um... And so sometimes Rusk and I, my husband, will be like, you know what? It's probably better off for us to just give that person the money so they can do whatever they need with it. Instead of us going through an organization or a nonprofit who's probably going to take maybe from $100, maybe take, you know, 85% of that for their, you know, overhead. And then the last little freaking component for the person that needs the money. So... That is real. So, right. And so how do we stop from doing, doing giving and donating and, 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 and contributing to these organizations without feeling like, okay, we're really not giving the people who really need the money, the money. Like we're not really doing something for them. I always feel like when you do like a big charity, 
You know what? The charity takes the money. It's really for their overhead. Their CEO gets paid a really good, you know, stipend. And then they have their secretaries. Obviously, everybody needs to get paid in order for something to function. I get that. But it always feels like you're constantly giving, giving, giving. And I don't see a change in terms of the the impact it has on the individual. So I think two things. One is, I mean, you're absolutely right. And I think, I don't know that I have the answer, but the best that we can do is learn as we go. And, you know, it sounds like from the donor perspective, that's from a private donor perspective, we want more transparency and, yeah. you know, accounting and accountability. And it does take some time to build that infrastructure, but I could see that as happening once it's clear that that's what's needed. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe that's naive. I do think also, frankly, like the government needs to fund some of these services, especially we're all funding the justice system with a lot of money. And so we can fund the justice system with a lot of money. We have to fund services that are going to offer an alternative to the justice system because it's the same kind of investment in the community's well-being. I agree. I think it's so important. So let's go into our last question. It's a little bit of a heavy question just because um, it's something that has been prevalent in the summer of 2020, and that is the death of Breonna Taylor. And, you know, my question for you in terms as a judge, someone who has the, the ability to to edit warrants, you know, give warrants, um, what would you have done so that we could prevent that from happening again in terms of would you double check edit warrants that you release as a judge? What, what can you say in terms of a judge that could make things different and, and change the outcome of, of her death, basically? Yeah, and so it's really important um, to be clear, just there's a lot of rules that apply to judges and judicial candidates. So, you know, I, I don't want to comment specifically like on what I would do in the Breonna Taylor case or what I would okay. do in a similar case because that's not, that's not appropriate. But I will say this. Mm-hmm. I think that a concern that judges rubber stamp things like warrants or probable cause in cases is real. I've seen it. Gotcha. And um, I absolutely expect of myself to consider the facts um, and scrutinize, you know, evidence Mm -hmm. that I'm required to consider. Um, And then I think that the other thing that happens is, you know, there's been a shift slowly and inadequately um, in our country of uh, holding law enforcement accountable. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's really important that that our leaders are, are on board with that shift. We, we have just, we hadn't done it. We, it wasn't done before. Um, and it's really important that we have leaders in, who are mm-hmm. willing to hold all people accountable, not just like poor and black and brown people, which is how it's been for too long. Yeah. You know, I think it's been a really difficult year for a lot of us in terms of what's been happening and like the things that have been... I guess, you know, activating a lot of the people, a lot of the young people to just go out there and really just um, do more than just sit on the sideline and really advocate for the things that are really mattering to us now. And I think we see so much happening this year that... I think we're tired of the status quo. I think we're tired as business as usual. We're tired of all of that. And we're really, really, really ready to just sort of move things in a new direction. Especially for me, I can tell you, I am just so ready for us to just wake up one day and not have 
you know, chaos and some dumb shit happening on Twitter every day. And I'm just like, ugh, I, I can't, I can't live like that anymore. Anyway, uh, we are reaching the end of our podcast. I am so grateful for you to be here today and give us some of the most amazing answers. I think if anything, you are authentic, you are real, and you are there for the right reasons. I think, you know, one thing that we definitely need to keep encouraging is for more women to push that 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 envelope to really reach, I guess, that... Um, that glass ceiling <laughs> that, it, that so many it. of us are just like oh like Willy Wonka yeah <laughs> just keep going even I didn't even know that it was this high above the ceiling to, to go to yeah no thank you and I think to your last point you know I, it's good to, to switch to a note of hope which I think you've done mm-hmm. I want to I want to come like repeat that yeah and, and second that and just share that like it is hard right now. It has been such a hard year. And I'm so excited about the opportunities presented by this election. It's an opportunity for change. It's an opportunity for diversity and for, for people to be in leadership that that have not had the chance to be in leadership before. And that reflect us and the, the air that we're breathing and this reckoning that we're all having where we're like, yeah. okay. A reckoning. Oh, I love that word. Yes. 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 Yeah. And it's not okay. And we need to stop being okay with this. We are not okay with this anymore. Um, And then people like you, you know, coming about. So before we close down, tell me one thing that you want people to do for you. Besides, of course, going and voting for you. What else do you want us to, to do for you as we close down? And let's, you know, give me an action. What do you want us to do? So this is Natalia Cornelio, otherwise known as Nata. Spread the word. Visit my website, nataliacornelio.com. Visit me on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Natalia Cornelio for Judge. Um, and share our post. Yeah. Share our content. We have really important content about content about the upcoming election. So then it'll not only let people know about me, but let people know about our upcoming election, which is starts October 13th. If you live in Harris County or you live in Texas, yes, as early as next Tuesday, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. There's some dates you can vote till 10 p.m. There's some dates you can vote 24 hours. Get out and vote. Spread the word. Uh, visit harrisvotes.com. Visit nataliacornelio.com and my social media and share it, share it, share it. That's the ask. Yes, that's the ask. And I'm going to be sharing all of her social media handles as well on my podcast and on all of my other platforms because we are going to support you. We're going to go out there and we're going to show that we mean it when we say we need a reckoning in this country and we need a reckoning in Harris we're County. We're having a reckoning. We're having it. Still the need for change. Yes. yes, I'm so excited for you and I'm so thrilled for you and I want to appreciate I want to just tell you that I appreciate you and I um thank you for being here making a little time in your day because I know you're a super busy woman right now and you're in full campaign mode um all I can recommend is hydrate make sure you eat and make sure you breathe and if you need to vent I'm here text me a vent I'm a big big proponent of venting sessions whenever you know shit hits the fan and you're just like I'm so fucking done okay vent with me send me that message believe me I'm a, I'm a pro at it my poor husband has to hear it every freaking night when I'm like oh, I'm so done with this 
do that for me okay if you need it i'm here i'm so grateful for you natalia thank you so much and i'm just so excited for what's coming i actually really feel excited for what's coming i know there's a little dread in the bottom of my heart i'm not letting it get to me though it's hope right now it's hopeful thank you and yeah let's go out there and get you in office girl Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for doing this show. Congratulations. I'm so proud of you, too. Thank you. I appreciate you. Andale. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye.